It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hey there, Bengals fans. Welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Going to take a moment today to remind you that if you're not telling your smart device to play the Lockdown Bengals podcast, you're making your life a little bit harder than it has to be. The smart devices can find our podcast through whatever app you use to listen to them and play it for you automatically. So just a reminder, when you get in your car, just tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Bengals and off you go to work with Joe and I talking about the Bengals to keep you company. Today, we will talk a little bit about some brief news. There isn't much going on around Paul Brown Stadium today. Jeff Hobson yesterday published a piece talking about some renovations, uh, particularly in the locker room and the players' entrance to Paul Brown Stadium, and potentially the weight room as well. There wasn't a ton of detail in there, but there are some renovations that have happened at Paul Brown Stadium. The Bengals had visits with a couple of late round draft prospects that we haven't talked about. I think this was late last week since he jungle had it and we didn't talk about it yet. And then the better part of the show, the biggest part of the show will be a two pronged redraft of the 2015 NFL draft, which a lot of Bengals fans can point to and say, you know, that's when things really, that's when the streak of, of good drafting people were like, is, is Duke Tobin actually good at this anymore? Right. And, so we'll talk about that in the later part of the show. First off, though, let's touch on the renovations of Paul Brown Stadium. This is the most recent news article at the time of recording on Bengals.com. So Zach Taylor put in some new nameplates in the locker room and redecorated, or sorry, relit, I think quite a bit, added a lot of light in the locker room, which apparently is... Uh, symbolic of no gray in communication, according to Jeff Hobson. Oh, I didn't. That's I like that. I guess that's that's something. I mean, the other part of it, I think, the practical part is that locker rooms are essentially in basements, right? And so having some more light down there could be could be nice. I don't know. We we could don't have pictures, mold. but yeah. Uh, the other the other thing that Hobson mentions is that. And I'll quote here, Taylor's message seems to also emphasize pride in the logo, the brand, and the history. So they brought in this entrance hallway for the players and have it decorated with, you know, previous greats. I think I think Zach Taylor said that one of the first things he did is he put a frame picture of Paul Brown up in his office. I like it. I this is these are things I think people have asked for, especially when it comes to uh remembering old players and greats and having pride in your city team and logo and a tiger and all the stripes. And yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. Okay. Actually, sorry. The detail isn't here. It's the hallway. So there's a hallway that passes by the cafeteria, the TV room, and they take this to get to the locker room. So this is going to be flooded with images of franchise grades. And there's going to be a wall with four 48 inch TVs and they'll have a quote on the wall in the locker room or opposite end of the locker room, I guess there'll be a quote from Paul Brown. So, you know, integrating the history and the culture, this is something that apparently is important to Zach Taylor. Maybe this is something that he's copying from uh, Sean McVay and the Rams is emphasizing the history. And you're right. It is something that we've asked for as fans for a long time. Let's do a ring of honor. What's so hard about it? Let's honor guys like Takeo Spikes and Willie Anderson and Anthony Munoz and Andrew Whitworth locally, right? The Reds have a great hall of fame. So for people local to Cincinnati, it's like, what, what's so hard 
the Reds have spent a lot of money on the Reds Hall of Fame, so you know there there's something you can point to if you want to be cynical about it. But it seems like something to be low hanging fruit. Yeah, something that to get people to maybe come to the games, you know, as well as feel good about being there even despite whatever happens. Because you know, when I go to a game, I want to go and hopefully catch a moment that I won't forget. And seeing a player have his either number or jersey hung up or however it goes for for the eventual or one day maybe we get a Bengals ring of honor however it goes that is one of those games uh that you remember and and you know even if win or lose you remember that halftime and that that ceremony yeah uh, it would be something that'd be pretty cool maybe this is a step in that direction at least internally they're starting to recognize it which is better than than nothing uh, I thought it was funny, though, that they emphasized one of the things that they emphasized was that the font on the nameplates in the locker room needed to match the the font that they use for for the Bengals related, you know, signage elsewhere. So now they have matching fonts. It's unified vision. That's what unified that is. vision. Yeah. Attention to detail. Yep. Uh, so the other news to talk about before we get into the redraft, and Cincy Jungle is on this, the Bengals worked out Clemson defensive tackle Albert Huggins, who was Dexter Lawrence's backup. So this is now Jeff Hobson linking them to Christian Wilkins. Some other mocks I've seen having them on Dexter Lawrence, maybe in the second round, maybe not the first. Yeah. Yeah, I can see and that. then now they've worked out Albert Huggins. So three defensive interior guys from Clemson. They're trying to make up for missing out on our 2015 guy, right? Uh, and hopefully not missing out on Ed <laughs> Oliver, which would be repeating a similar mistake. Missing on a lot of guys. But it's just funny that now, here we are, we got links to three different Clemson defensive tackles, and we're going to talk about redrafting the 2015 draft. Yeah. What can you do? They also met with Ohio State offensive guard Malcolm Prigion. He was a JUCO transfer to Ohio State who apparently did play tackle in junior college. Mm. Uh, he's a big guy, 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, 3'10. Joe, you watched looks, a little bit of tape? Yeah, he looks big and powerful, but he, uh, man, he looks unathletic. I mean, he gets beat off the snap uh, very often with quickness and speed. Uh, and anytime they asked him to pull or get in the space, he looked like he was lumbering. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is a sixth, seventh round guy, maybe even undrafted. And this is a guy whose pro football focus grades aren't stellar. He's a one-year starter, was you know relatively strong in run blocking, but that's not saying a lot. His grades were 72.6 for pass blocking, 68.5 for run blocking. So, yeah, looking at this as a late-round guy for sure, unless they're in love with something about him, which they've shown the tendency to do with certain guys. Regardless, maybe they're putting in extra work on guys that they could take with their five, six-round picks. Yeah, it's interesting because how you allocate your time and your visits and the resources you have leading up to the draft uh, can be very telling, but also that interests me from a managerial point. You know, I want to know more about it. Actually, that'd be something I would ask if I ever got the chance is that, you know, you only have so many man hours and, and hours in the day and, and time, you know, how do you, not only do you get 30 private visits, but you have to send guys out to go work people out at their pro day or even private visits at, at their location. And the Bengals are short staffed as it is you know based uh, uh when compared to other teams and other franchises so how do they do this is this someone that they're already gathering for day three uh a lot of teams you see how the patriots do it sometimes and they'll say that they'll have 45 guys on their draft board completely and they know everything there is to know about those 45 guys and they feel comfortable drafting them whereas the bengals uh i wonder how big that draft board is and how much homework they're doing on these day three guys because it seems like they usually target who they want especially on day three yeah it is worth noting, at least, that Pridgen met with three other teams, including the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Atlanta Falcons, and the team that shall not be named on this podcast. The Steelers. Indeed. Uh, you just broke rule number one. We only have one rule, Joe. Don't talk about the Steelers. By name, anyway. By name. Uh, real quick. N- nothing positive, right? If it's negative. Especially nothing positive. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the relationship changes, but I doubt it. 
I'm not I'm not looking for that to happen. Real quick, uh somehow the Bengals media mock that they just posted, this this went up today. This is beat writers from around the league that, that Jeff Hobson invites to say, All right, let's do a mock. And the Arizona beat writer Kent Summers for the Arizona Republic has them picking Quinn and Williams. So by the time the Bengals get onto the clock, no quarterbacks are gone. So Jeff Hobson's sitting here and he's picking between Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Devin Bush. He talks about Christian Wilkins again. Let's see, Ed Oliver is gone in this case. So at least at least he's not talking about Christian Wilkins over Ed Oliver. And Devin White's gone also, right? Yeah, but the, Devin White is gone also. And so he picks Devin Bush over over the rest. So I'm just looking at who else is still there. There's definitely, you know, some of the edge guys, Montez Sweat we've talked about. and What, what about any tackles left? Sorry, Montez Sweat was gone. Uh, what kind of tackles? Offensive, offensive tackles? Yes. Jawan Taylor is the only offensive tackle drafted. So he's taking him over Jonah also, but he didn't mention any offensive tackles, kind of how we were leaning after yesterday's podcast also. Yeah, he's talking about uh, Devin Bush and Christian Wilkins, and and that's what he has had it narrowed down to recently. So that would we'll feel pretty if, underwhelming if that, if those are the two choices. Depending on what's there, yeah. In this case, Ed Oliver's gone, so you feel a little less bad about it. Yeah, I just hate feeling like we're right outside the blue chip range. Well, they are. We've talked about this. Where, where they're picking at eleven, and where they're picking at forty-two is is you know five picks behind you know where you're going to get a faller out of the first round, and five picks behind where you can guarantee yourself a blue chip at a position you want. This is why you lose to the Raiders in Week 15. Didn't they also have an, an upset? Like they they oh they had that they had that crazy comeback against Atlanta when they were still good. Yeah, and then they had well, they that, had a bunch of close games when they were still good. Yeah, yeah. That, well, they had the shootout with the Bucks too, and wasn't yeah, that's right. They, they could have lost good that. anymore. Yeah, that was right. That was the first sign, really. No, not the first sign. That was the nail in the coffin of yeah, this team's not going anywhere. Yeah, not to harp on the no. negative of last year. They're picking where they're picking. They will get good players. They could could potentially be better in 2019 if they have a better run of health at some of those important positions quarterback wide receiver tight end if they get a linebacker so we, we've, we've talked about all that before so let's get into redrafting the 2015 draft so let me set the stage of what the roster looks like what we thought the needs were and then we'll probably get into the draft according to your board so in 2015 the Bengals, I think, felt like they had a strong roster. They were coming off. They went to the playoffs in 2014, right? Yeah, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Yeah, so they're coming off a, a run of getting to the playoffs. They have a very solid core at this point that consists of a couple of guys on, uh, on the last year of their deals. Kevin Zeitler, Mohammed, Mohammed Sanu, Marvin Jones in particular are the noteworthy yeah. ones there. They had a couple more years with Andrew Whitworth. Vontez Perfect was still a guy that we looked at and said, when he's on the field, this defense is very, very good. Yep. Uh, Michael Johnson still had a little bit of juice left. He was going to be the defensive end, along with Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, Damata Pecco, the nose tackle. Looking forward, I think the Bengals thought they did want to find, they obviously wanted to find offensive tackles of the future with Andrew Whitworth having a couple years left on his deal. Andre Smith at right tackle. Uh, not really seen as a long-term solution. They probably expected that they would be able to keep one of Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, so they probably didn't prioritize wide receiver too high in this draft. They had young first-round corners in Dre Kirkpatrick and Darquez Denard at that point with Leon mm-hmm. Hall still on the team and Adam Jones still playing well. Right. They had George Iloka and... and uh, uh, Reggie Nelson playing safety with Sean Williams and I think Darren no Darren Smith became the backup. Yeah, he was drafted this year though. He was drafted in that year. So looking at that kind of summary of the team, obviously always keeping an open mind to quarterbacks, Joe and I would. They're they're looking for a tackle to come in in a couple of years, maybe next year with Andre Smith take over right tackle then left tackle. 
probably need a tight end too because at this point in time it was Tyler Eifert and and nobody really. Yep. Because they're um, losing Gresham this year. Yeah, Gresham was gone. Okay. Uh, they probably could use a pass rusher. Wallace Gilberry was a backup defensive end, and and so between Dunlap, Gilberry, and and Mike Johnson, you could probably use another edge guy. I think for us at the time, we were thinking defensive tackle could make sense because we're looking to upgrade on Demata Pecco. And outside of Burfecht, you know, their other linebackers were uh, Ray Maluga, Emmanuel Lemur was on the roster at the time. Yep. AJ Hawk, I think, was a free agent signing that offseason. That's right. So going into the draft, those are the positions that, that we're aware of. And then we all know the story of the first two rounds where Cedric Abway, he was a pick in the first. To the collective dismay, I think, of many Bengals fans, and while we tried to keep an open mind that maybe NFL coaching and NFL lifting regimen could add some power and technique to a game that was loaded with athleticism but really missing those two things, it, it just never materialized in the long term. And then the second round, they go back and they pick Jake Fisher, who... Many analysts and Bengals fans really liked as a pick at the time. And if you ask some people, if you just flip Jake Fisher into the first, Cedric Obwehi in the second, they feel a lot better about the way the first two rounds went. had them taking Jake Fisher with the first round pick. My final mock did. So getting him in the second round at the time was thought to be a pretty good deal. Of course, he has had major health issues in the NFL. And so that has certainly got, I think that got in the way of his development. Now he's playing tight end. So he never put it together either. The Bengals have two third-rounders. They drafted Tyler Croft to be the second tight end. We talked about this. I don't think that anybody at the time loved Tyler Croft for tight end, too, but right. it was fine, right? The tight end class was terrible this year. There was no real number one or number two. Accurate. It was just a huge group, and we saw them all in free agency this year, right? It was a huge group of a third tier at tight end, and Croft was amongst the better ones, in my opinion. It just... You know, it wasn't a, a very uh, exciting pick at the time. And in this year of the draft, they had compensatory picks in the third and fourth round. They picked Paul, then later P.J. Dawson, with their compensatory pick in the third round. Had an excellent grade from Pro Football Focus. Great college production. Looks good on tape. Had major athleticism concerns as he yeah. tested very poorly at the combine. And... Then I think more than anything, I think that the mental part Character is, questions. is said to have not come together at the next yeah. level, in addition to the athleticism. So he and never really got much of a chance. That's a bigger point to every draft year is when a guy that has good tape comes in and tests very poorly, not only is it a sign of maybe he's not as, as athletic as we thought, it's also a sign of this guy's not putting in the work. Right. And so like think of like Greg Little this past, uh, you know, at, at the Combine when we're – on More tape, than I anything, Ja'Kai Polite. Sure, Ja'Kai Polite is a great example. It, the better example, exactly. It, he's the guy. And Orlando Brown last year, just guys like that where you go, man, it's not just a concern that he failed this part of the, the process. It's a process, It's a concern of, is he working? Yeah. And and Vontaze Perfect, uh, of, of course, a, a historic example for the Bengals. He ends yep. up being an undrafted free agent. And, and you see these kinds of guys really fall. And Dawson did into the third round. In the fourth round, they also had a compensatory pick. They picked Josh Shaw, a safety corner hybrid type. He did flash early in his career for the Bengals and looked like he could have been a solid corner, uh, a slot corner, and uh, you know play safety from time to time when needed. I think he was better in the slot. Yeah, for sure. And he was beating out Darquez Denard, remember, early in, in their yep. their careers. And then once the Bengals picked up the fifth-year option on Denard, I said it that day at that moment that the next year Denard's going to be starting in the slot. And they that's how they operate. When they're paying someone, they start. And that's why we, we've used that case all, all this offseason, especially after, after they signed Bobby Hart and those guys, is that if, when they pay him, that guy's starting. And they yeah. did that with Darquez Denard. And after that, Shaw was nowhere to be found again. And he's, I think, still trying to find his way into an NFL team this offseason. I don't think he's currently on a team. He played with the Chiefs last year, but he got scorched. Yeah, and he and he kind of did fall off. I, I I think part of it's probably repetitions, but he you know not getting as much practice time, not getting as much playing time consistently. But the tail end of his Bengals career definitely showed some decline as well. Uh, with their compensatory pick in the fourth round, they picked Marcus Hardison, 
who I, th- I think did we like Marcus Hardison at the time? Uh, the problem with it was that they didn't take Grady Jarrett. Um, so we, while of course, right. So when it's like taking Billy Price, and you're like, man, I really like James Daniels. Mm-hmm. Yes, we re- we did like Hardison. Hardison played defensive end at Arizona State. Had ten sacks as a 300 pound defensive end. I mean, he turned the corner. That was. It was impressive what he could do. There, there was a lot of upside. A lot of people were interested in what he could be if he moved inside. So I, for me, as the Bengals like to kick that extra defensive end inside to rush the passer, I thought Marcus Hardison was, Hardison was a great fit for that. The problem is I don't think the Bengals ever really fully fleshed out that plan and got him to where they needed him to be. I remember in preseason they were still playing him at end, and then the following year they're playing him at defensive tackle. He, he suffered injuries. Going from end to D tackle, the game speeds up tremendously, and your hands need to be better. Your leverage needs to be much better, and Hardison never was able to make that adjustment fast enough. Coming back in the fifth round, the Bengals double-dipped to tight end and selected C.J. Uzama, who is – in retrospect, the best pick. the best pick of this draft, and it's not even close. He's the only, the only guy still on the roster. The only player to earn a second contract from the team that drafted him. Uzama never had a tight end coach at Auburn. I think he, yep. he practiced with the fullbacks. He was athletic. He was raw. And he had a great development trajectory with the Bengals. He came along yep. in a big way. And looking back, you could say that's probably the best pick. And you could debate that. Well, you can't really because Darren Smith is excelling in the AAF, but Darren Smith the, was the guy the in the sixth round. The now defunct AAF. The now defunct AAF. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, AAF. <laughs> um, but Darren Smith was a guy that I, I followed Joe at the time, so I was ecstatic with getting Darren Smith in the sixth yep. round. This was Joe's top safety in, in the yeah. 2015 NFL draft. The only guy I gave a first-round grade to out of the – however many picks they have here. Uh, but he, I gave him a 70.58, which means I felt he was my number one safety. I felt he was going to be a starting NFL player. Uh, I thought he could have maybe be a little bit of an Eric Weddle, and it never materialized for whatever reason. And it's a real mystery, I think, because he, he was balling out in the AF. And it's not just the Bengals that didn't give him a chance either. It was He went to the Browns uh, for some time as well. He couldn't get on the field there, so... Yeah, and he played a little bit for the Bengals, and in preseason and yeah. camp. Remember the highlights he would make the, the one one hand interception his rookie year in camp, and he had a, a few inter- picks. He picked Andy Dalton a few times in camp, and there was a lot of talk about him. Like, wow, this guy is really good. And I was like, yep, here he is. This is exactly what I thought they drafted. And man, I just you know I don't know. They kept taking defensive backs, and he just got lost in the shuffle at some point. That's right. And in the seventh round, the Bengals picked West Virginia wide receiver, speedster Mario Alford, who, for all the speed, never put it together in the NFL. Yeah, they thought at the very least he could be a return man. And that never happened so much either. They tried it. They did. He Uh, fumbled, I believe, in preseason. That was it. You know Marvin. That's it. You can't fumble if you're young. Um, The notable free agent for the Bengals in this draft class was Wide receiver Jake Kumro. That's it, huh? That He's was the playing. most notable. In Green Bay. Packers. Yeah. Touchdown Jesus. Touchdown Jesus. So that is what the Bengals were looking at heading into the 2015 draft. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and tell you what Joe's board dictated at the time. And then we'll do the Fantasyland version of if we could cherry pick the best players that went between each of the Bengals picks, who would they have been? So stick around and we'll be right back. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We are redrafting the 2015 draft. We did 2014 last year. It started off, kicked off the bad drafting for the Bengals 2015 put the nail in the coffin and really those two back-to-back years 
led to what we saw the past three seasons where the Bengals struggled to make the playoffs after making it five straight years. So turning the best roster into the one of the worst happened quickly within two drafts. And looking at 2015, using my board, because I make a board every year, I grade players uh, before the draft. I want to take the best player available, and I should preface this before we go too far. Leal Collins was my number one player in on the entire draft board. And I want to say it was just a day before, maybe even two days before, Jake, uh, that there was a report that Leal Collins may have uh, done something wrong sexually, I believe, with a woman, right? It was something along those lines. It yeah. was unfounded, we, we found out, within 24 hours to th- Maybe even within two days. By day three, we found out there was nothing there. And it was a weird situation of, okay, do you draft him? I think he was telling people through his agent not to draft him. Don't draft him because of the money he would be. And he wouldn't show up in the fifth, sixth round. You know, what those guys get paid, he wouldn't show up. Uh, I think the Cowboys ended up drafting him in the seventh, correct? Or he signed with the Cowboys and undrafted? I can't. Either I think way. he was undrafted. Yeah, he was undrafted. And the Cowboys signed him very early, too, because I think that was part of the agreement now that I remember. Anyways, point being is he was number one on my board, but knowing what we knew or what we didn't know, I did not take him until I felt it was comfortable doing this redraft. So he would is the best player available for the first five rounds or so, and I ignored it completely uh, until I felt it was worthy. And you know, it's a real mystery, though. Like you said, you didn't take him until you thought it was a worthy risk. It's a real mystery that NFL teams weren't like, okay, it's the seventh round. If he doesn't actually show up, what do we have to lose? Yeah, that it's, is wild. It's I, I don't think they could have done. Happen. I don't think they could have done the background check quick enough. Or even though we found out on day three that like most people, most teams believe nothing was nothing happened. Uh, I think the, it still scared them from taking yep. him. And yep. which to me, I thought. Uh, Leal Collins was a fantastic tackle prospect and would have been a great pick at 21. He's one guy I was championing for a long time until this news report came out. So it hurts doubly that they took Oblihian Fisher. Anyways, so pick 21. Instead of taking Cedric Oblihi, which I was completely against. Someone asked me before what would be the worst case scenario. I said uh, Eric Flowers or Cedric Oblihi because I was completely out on them. I had a 65.25 Shout out to Ryan Coyle helping with the offensive line grades that year. 65.25 means fifth, fourth round. And when I was doing this and and going through the draft, he was still there in the fifth round based on uh, where guys were graded when I was going through this process. So I just wanted to read off some of the tweets from that moment because a lot of you guys were on it too about the boy he pick. I tweeted, we riot, meaning this is terrible. But a few of you guys, a few of your listeners like Kevin Skirks, he said, I literally just shut off my TV. And then we've got a couple other. David Buck, Herm Gone Wild, says, this is bullshit, bro. And if you, Rusty Shackleford, yeah, this sucks. And one under one other, Randy Bendel, says, the only way they bring me back to being interested is if they draft or find a way to draft Eric Kendricks, who was the linebacker out of UCLA. And that's who I'm picking. And Eric Hendricks was number three on my board when I came up. I'm bypassing Lyle Collins. I'm by, I'm sorry, he was number four. I'm bypassing Lyle Collins, obviously. Uh, he was number three because of that. I'm not taking Henry Anderson, who was number one, because I had him as a 3-4 defensive end. As you remember, the Bengals are a 4-3 team still, uh, as they traditionally were. And I didn't take Malcolm Brown, who just by a hair graded higher than Eric Kendricks because, as you know, I have always uh, devalued the nose tackle position. And I even have tweets going back then that says, I want Eric Kendricks. Kendricks has been really good for the Vikings, at least good enough. He would have been an upgrade. He would have been the middle linebacker, perfect as the weak side. Uh, I really would have liked that pick. In comparison to a 65 ahead of Pharrell Boyhee, I had a 72 grade for Kendricks, which is a massive leap. Yeah, and if it's Kendricks, then – they'll need a linebacker for the subsequent years even into this year is much less dire because they at least have an athlete at the position who is competent right so who do you have in the second round joe and it's funny we've talked about kendrick's yesterday's pod right when we talked about devin bush because they line up pretty similarly in terms of athleticism so second round uh the guy that was number two on my board that I buy that I bypassed because of the fit was Henry Anderson. And he's still there out of Stanford, tested really well. I like really liked Henry Anderson on tape. I think Pro Football Focus loved Henry Anderson. I believe loved he him. was yeah, I think he was top fifteen on my board uh going in. But and now I'm not worried about need or fit at this point. 
and I'm still taking him in the second round. He's going to replace my Wallace Gilberry. He may rotate with Carlos Dunlap, give Dunlap a little breather, but he's going to be kicked inside a nickel and help pass rush from inside there. And if you don't know much about Henry Anderson, he was with the Colts, got injured early in his career after flashing his rookie year. He's now with the Jets, had a really productive year with the Jets last year. I want to say he had 48 pressures and eight sacks. Uh, he's really coming into what we thought he was. I want to say a 79 grade overall. So Henry Anderson's a very good player right now. He went in the third round to the Colts. Yeah. And if you draft Henry Anderson there, there's there's an obvious cascade effect. Already going Kendricks Anderson in round one, round two makes this draft from an F. If the rest of it stays the same, it probably comes up to a B plus. Yeah, easily. easily. And yeah, and and both guys we could use right now, actually, because they'd yep. fill two positions of need. I, we're talking about Ed Oliver and linebacker, right? Well, here's your two two guys that would help. And, One's and all the these, nickel rusher. And all these guys, the first rounder would be in his fifth year, right? Yep. And yep. the and then for the second, third round guys, this is where we're talking about extensions this year. Yep, of or course. Last year. So third round instead of Tyler Croft, who I had a 67.7 grade on. There's a first-round wide receiver I had uh, that not – I don't know anyone else that had a first-round grade on him. And I was leading the charge on him, so everyone know, that knows me and that has followed me for this long knows who it is, and it's Stephon Diggs out of Maryland. And I love Stephon Diggs. When you watch him, he had the separation ability, quick feet, ball skills, uh, really good at hands, accurate route runner, could run after the catch. And we've seen that with the Minnesota Vikings as they're – I, they have a 1A, 1-2 with him and Adam Thielen, but Stephon Diggs is a very, very good receiver in the NFL. He's top of my board again. Uh, obviously, I'm bypassing Lyle Collins here. And uh, really, Diggs, I would have been all over with, with Marvin Jones and Muhammad Snu entering the final years of their deal. You can bring Diggs along and allow Marvin Jones to go and feel really cool about it, or you keep him and you have three stud receivers. Anyways, that would have reverberated down also in the future, as they take Tyler Boyd and John Ross the following two years. Yeah, and they, and they lost both of those guys too. And if if they keep if they draft Diggs, maybe they can be more aggressive and say, you know what, we want to keep our slot guy, Mohamed Sanu. Uh, yeah. Diggs, of course, went in the fifth round to the Minnesota Vikings. The Bengals passed on him two more times, three more times, because we yeah. have, we have two picks for them in the third. So who do you have uh, instead of Paul Dawson? And before we get there. Um, you said that you had what a sixty-seven or something like that on Croft. What what does that translate to? If you could, when you say the number, what what yeah, what round roughly does that seventy translate to? is first round. Uh, so usually, if you're a seventy, you're a fringe guy. I talked about this when we did two thousand fourteen. Darquez Denard was a seventy point oh five, which means if I have to, I'll take him in the first round. But I feel more comfortable if that was a value pick at the top of the second. So uh, getting a guy that's a 72 like Kendricks and Anderson mean I thought I would have taken them top 15 in most drafts. Uh, Stephon Diggs being a 70, 75, again, same thing. I would have considered him at the end of the first, second round, I would have thought it was a slam dunk pick. Uh, so for Croft being a 67.7, he's going to fall in the range. Anyone that's like a 67 or a 68, because even the 69s I consider in the second round also, 67, 68 is like day three, day or I don't mean round three, round four. Gotcha. Mid-round guys you like, don't love, would like to roll the dice on basically. Yeah. So that's where Croft was. I, I liked him, didn't love him. And that's where really all of these guys grade that they drafted were guys. I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, but, you know, no standouts. Right. And this is really my first miss of the draft. And still, like we talked about, a guy I loved, I take Deron Smith here. He's the highest guy on my board. Uh, so I'm taking him. The Bengals took him in the sixth. I'm taking him in the third round. I'm way over drafting Deron Smith here. I was way too high on Deron Smith. And that is what it is. Maybe, right? The NFL clearly didn't like him, but he's gone on and he's been extremely productive when he was on the field in the NFL in preseason. And when he got a couple regular season snaps, didn't he have an interception in the regular season? Or did I make that up? I don't know if he had a an interception in regular season or not. And it, we talked maybe, about maybe this I made one. that up. No, he did have some plays, and I'm trying to remember if uh, I'm thinking of a a knockdown versus the Broncos, one versus the Lions. No, the Bills. And I'm going through his grades right now, and looking at his stats. No, he did not have an interception in his career. I still don't know how hard I can be on this. I was on board with it. And he's he was the best player in the AAF, according to Pro Football Focus. So he, he's got some game left in him. Let's move on to the fourth round. The Bengals were picking. Where were they picking in the fourth round? There they are. Same spot. This is Josh Shaw. Yeah. 
And Shaw, again, I had a similar grade to Croft, 67.58, so someone I'd been interested in. Uh, but I had a first-round grade on a defensive tackle still on the board, someone that, honestly, I felt I would have taken in the first round. And he had a 70.31. Uh, not only was his tape excellent, I thought he flashed consistently, had the size and power you want from a three-tech. And then he tested like a high-end athlete at that position. It's Grady Jarrett. And, you know, the Bengals take Marcus Hardison a pick later, but I love Jarrett. I was completely on him all the way. And he is the best player on the board here when I sit here, and it makes sense. So, I, you know, I'm not cherry-picking. These guys were on the top of my board, and now I feel like I have four really, really good picks out of the first five. Sounds like your board in 2015 was pretty, pretty good. It is what it is. I don't want to gloat too much, but I feel good. Next one was Marcus Hardison, 67 again. Uh, This is where I take Lyle Collins. And I did this also, if you know me, I do a shadow team, which if you remember the, um, I think it like 2002 Madden, where you could take the Texans franchise as an expansion team and you can, draft players and try and build them up, right? And it was fun to do that. I always enjoyed doing that. I take a shadow team that I've been drafting for, for I want to say six or seven years now. And during the actual draft, I I will pick where at first it was picking 15 and 16, and I would take two players in the first couple rounds. Expansion teams get two picks in every round. Um, And then now I can have a full roster where I can simulate on Madden, see where I pick. This year I pick number nine, which kind of helps because I'm scouting players in that range for the Bengals anyways. But in the 2015 draft, so I'm taking these picks as they happen in real life. I took uh, Diggs, Smith, Jarrett, and Collins. So this happened in 2015, and I'm doing it again now. I feel comfortable taking Collins with the fourth rounder. That's a compensatory pick. Uh, I thought Leal Collins was the man, strong, powerful, nasty. Get him in the move and watch him get up to full speed and blow people up. I'm sure you've seen the highlights. They're they're on Twitter if you type in his name. Uh, He's ends up being our either starting right guard to replace Kevin Zeitler or our starting right tackle. So when is your team going to start picking later than ninth overall? When I'm good enough. My team's not – we could talk about this one day because I think people always ask me, I want to build an app so people can do this and do it live. I think it would be a blast, but I don't know how to, not do that at all. But last year I picked uh, eighth and took Roquan Smith. This year we're ninth. I'm going to get fired soon if we have one more losing year. Who's your quarterback? Teddy Bridgewater? Kurt- Kirk Cousins, actually. I did oh. not get Teddy. My first year, I, I took uh, Cousins in the mid-round. He was, a, he was a guy that everyone liked as a mid-round prospect. It'd be like your Brett Rippey in this year or Will Greer if he's still there in the third round. And I took Cousins my following year. I felt I still needed a quarterback, and I took Geno Smith in the first round. Oof. That may have gotten me fired. Oof. Yeah. Big oof. Let's but go to the next round. Kirk Cousins saved me. Yeah, I'm going to miss two picks in a row here in the fifth and sixth round. Fifth round, I took Ifo Ekpre Alomo. If you don't remember him, that's okay because he played at Oregon and he was a really good corner for Oregon. He got hurt really bad, I think, a couple times. Uh, people said he probably was a first-rounder if he, he did was. not get hurt. Yeah. Here he is. Uh, I got him in the fifth round, and I'm like, okay, the value's there. He's got a 68.98 grade, which means, you know, second or third round prospect and he never played a snap i don't think in the nfl at least not on defense he may have played special teams but that was it i, I believe he even got hurt early in the, in his nfl career so i've got nothing out of him completely the Bengals beat me here with cj uzama and was he actually drafted ifo yeah he was drafted by the browns 241 yeah. toward the end of the draft yeah i also uh next pick sixth round where they took deron smith who i loved i took ej bibbs another browns uh draft pick who was a tight end out of Iowa State, kind of a shorter guy in the mold of an H-back. I had decent athleticism, even though I don't think he tested well enough. But he looked athletic on tape, looked like he had the hands. He never did anything. He bounced around for a few teams, and both of these picks are wasted in the fifth and sixth round. Can't win them all. Anybody good in the seventh? Yeah, actually, Anthony Harris. As I get here in the sixth round, before taking bibs, uh, and the only reason I didn't take Anthony Harris – before was because the top two guys on my board before taking bibs was Quandre Diggs, who went to the Lions, and Anthony Harris. And I didn't take them because I, I already take, took Deron Smith, and then Ifo Ekpre Olomo was the pick, the pick before that. So I was like, I'm not going to take another defensive back. They needed a tight end. I took bibs in the sixth round. Coming back in the seventh, by that time, Quandre Diggs went, who's still a good nickel safety starter for the Lions. And Anthony Harris is still sitting there. And I go, fine, Anthony Harris top on my board at this point. 
knowing what I know now that he's a starting strong safety for the Vikings. Had an 89 grade last year, his first year being a full-time starter. He's really good for them last year. Uh, I'm sitting here like, okay, fine. I, I'm not going to deny it anymore. I'm going to take him. And so seventh round, we may have gotten a starter in that position. 2015, I think, is is one of those years. And we'll see how it goes in 17. I think your 2015 draft is much better than your 2014 draft. I thought 2014 was good. But, yes, now that we're going through it, I mean, Kendricks, Anderson, Diggs, three starters, cornerstone players. Jarrett, four, cornerstone. Collins, five. And then Anthony Harris is, you know, potentially if he beats out or maybe you don't even draft Jesse Bates. But uh, there's your sixth guy, which so is t- crazy. So I'll tell you how they could have done better. Okay. Because this is using hindsight, and, and I get to cherry pick. So in the first round, the options that I think, if you look back on the careers they've had, the best value you can get at this position is probably Byron Jones, cornerback. But yeah, I, I think I talked myself out of going corner here because I thought they had – stock at cornerback in this particular year and I thought that there's a a more pressing need a place that I could get a bigger upgrade that would be immediate and so the other options there Eric Kendricks who you've talked about or the guy that's actually had a better career if you if you trust pro football focus down in Houston and that's Bernardrick McKinney yeah I liked McKinney also even though I had him as like a Late second, early third type guy. He was raw coming out, but he's 6'5", 250 type middle linebacker that's powerful and athletic. Yeah. And so the other choices there that you could consider, Demarius Randall, safety, Eddie Goldman and nose tackle for Chicago, who actually has some pass rush to him, has been very good as a pro. I'm glad and to hear that. Actually, I haven't followed Eddie Goldman. He, he's He's been very, very good, I think. Um, and Donovan Smith, the offensive tackle from Tampa, who we were talking about as a free agent, I think. I did not have high grades on Donovan Smith or uh, who's the Demarius Randall. I had very low grade on Demarius Randall. There you go. So for me, I went Bernardrick McKinney here, and that's your linebacker for the next five years. He's still on the team, and now linebacker is in a need this year. So I think this is two years in a row where we've gone. I've I've gone linebacker somewhere to address the long term problem. I can actually tell you right now. In 2014, it would have been. No, there was no linebacker. So You're I didn't drunk. take a linebacker in 2014. I did, however, take Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, so in the second round, there are a lot of interesting options here as well. There's a great offensive tackle option in Rob Havistein, who went to the Rams a little bit later. Had, had, the draft community was extremely low on Havenstein. Yeah. I mean, the people when he was drafted, people said, what? What are the Rams doing? Yep. I think, I think we had him around the fifth. Yeah, something like I, that. I had to scroll down way well, yeah. as I'm going through my spreadsheet and deleting players as I'm going through this and picking the ones I wanted uh, as I'm doing the, the redraft. I had to go way down for heaven's sake, and I said, "Wow, we completely whiffed on this one." Well, and and so did I think a lot of quote unquote draft Twitter at the time. But the Rams got him. I think early third is when he ended up getting drafted. Ali Marpet. I'm not sure, sure. if that's how his name is pronounced. Offensive it guard is. in Tampa's had a pretty solid career. Jordan Hicks, the linebacker that we talked about wanting the Bengals to sign this offseason, has had injuries, but if I didn't get McKinney in the first, I probably am strongly considering Hicks here in the second in terms of just value. Tyler Lockett, though, is the guy that I end up picking for the Bengals here, and I know Stephon Diggs is there later. There's a world um, in which you could argue that Tyler Lockett could be could be a better player. He obviously has less raw production. He has fewer targets. But he has been absolutely insane for Seattle, and I think underrated by everyone outside of Seattle. And if you guys have followed me and remember 2015, not only was I Diggs, everyone was on Lockett. We just felt like that was the type of speed guy. And then return man that could help them right away. Uh, So I'm not going to argue on this. We all, as a collective, love Tyler Lockett. So Bernardrick McKinney, Tyler Lockett, receiver, linebacker in the first three rounds. And then there really was some of the best players in this draft were in the fifth round, and and we'll get to those. But in the third round, the obvious best cherry-picking pick in retrospect at 85 where they drafted Tyler Croft is Daniil Hunter. Mm. He was a crazy athlete who didn't have great production at LSU and and didn't have great tape 
He did not. I remember this. I did, was all off of Daniil Hunter, man. Yeah. Uh, and it's before I knew really what LSU was. And we talked a lot about Devin White and LSU's defense being hyper-focused on the run. When you watch our defensive linemen, they're in a run stance. I mean, they're run focus. Basically, if you're, are you looking at the ball or are you looking at the, the feet of or, or the legs of the offensive tackle? And it depends on, you know, are you – pinning yours back and rushing the passer, or are you defending the run first? And when you watch them, especially when Daniel Hunter was there, he's just reading run keys the whole time. So when it came time to pass rush, I'm like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, but he's a freak. And he's got everything you want in terms of size and athleticism, and he figured it out. You could also argue for David Johnson, who at one point was easily the best running back in the NFL there. He went just a couple picks later. David Johnson was interesting as a prospect. No one was really on him, and there was only a few games, one versus Iowa, and I remember watching Carl Davis, defensive tackle guy I liked, uh, but David Johnson catching a pass out of the backfield and going like 60 yards and going, who is that guy? And I remember a lot of people using that game in those those clips because we didn't have many because he's from a smaller school uh, of saying, look at this David Johnson guy. He'd be really intriguing. Yeah. So David Johnson is a guy you could argue for there at running back. However, the Bengals have recently spent second-round picks at running back at this point in time in back-to-back years in Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard. Rex Burkhead's still on the roster as well, so couldn't really talk me into a running back there, even though David Johnson, when he was healthy before he had the injuries, best running back in the NFL. Uh, Coming back in the third round for the compensatory pick, It gets a little bit interesting here. There are two guys that really stand out, and one of them is Trey Flowers, who Mm. went at 101 to New England. The other one is Daryl Williams, who went at 102 to Carolina. Since I just picked Daniil Hunter, instead of Trey Flowers, I take Daryl Williams here for my tackle of the future from the... Uh, from the 2015 NFL Draft. And Daryl Williams has been a solid player, been a right tackle, got hurt, was a guy that we wanted, and for the money he got from Carolina is a guy that I really wanted. When I was deleting both players from the, the spreadsheet uh, when they were picked in this in this area, both were in my top like 12 when they were picked. Uh, ne- neither would have been a pick for me because they weren't at the top of my board, but both guys I liked. Trey Flowers I really liked as a junior. His junior year was much better than his senior year, and I remember listening to a must have been a. Uh, I, I subscribe to PFF on YouTube, and I, one of their videos play, and I watch them sometimes when I'm doing stuff around the house. But they talked about the value of grading a guy both years and not just watching the senior tape. Because I remember watching him as a junior and saying, "Man, I really like this guy." Checking him out as a senior, and I said, "Yeah, he's a mid-round pick. I'm not sure what he's going to be." And turns out Trey Flowers was a really good player. Darrell Williams though was a guy Ryan and I both really liked as a future right tackle. It's really interesting, This the which year do you evaluate more for the purposes of the NFL question that PFF posed? And this was a couple of weeks ago. I don't have an answer for that. So I think you need to acknowledge the junior year for the third year guys or the sophomore year for the three-year starters that come out after the junior year. Yeah, But it's it's really hard to know what's what because guys do go up and down. And when they're younger, you assume that there should just be a trajectory that is up. Or they're not going to, con- or or you know, if a guy's going down, the Clemson offensive tackle who we've talked about uh, has trended down each year as a starter has gotten worse. Yeah, and think about it like if you're watching a new Bengals player, say there was an, a league above the Bengals, and they were they were going to draft some players. Well, if you were going after 2017, you would have said William Jackson, first rounder again, maybe top ten guy. Uh, after 2018, you would have said. We still like him, but maybe he's a second-round pick. And that's the difference. And that's why you need to still look at the junior tape if it's available. And plus, if you have the time, and a lot of it is uh, you're not looking for – PFF does such a good job that I don't feel like I have to do this anymore. We're getting a little sidetracked here. But my my point is that now I can only watch three or four games and say, okay, I'm looking for the traits that that I feel comfortable with or the traits that I find valuable in this player. And then I'll look at the PFF grade and see how they graded them for the past two years. And that's more of a consistency factor. And I can see a, maybe a trend or a progression in his development. Is there a guy that you have this year that you're really high on traits on and they are low on grade for? You know, I don't, I don't know one. that I have. Who do you got? Oh, who was it? Uh, Renell Wren. Oh, yeah, Renell Wren, they're not very high on, are they? Yeah. 
Yeah, traits wise, Ronald Wren has it, and the testing wise, he has it. Uh, that'll be interesting to see because they've been high on some guys that haven't had the testing, and I would say it's been a mixed bag. It's always a mixed bag with the NFL draft, but uh, so I don't want to say it in a negative light. But I do think you will, you should lean on all information available. Yeah, you have to use it all. Like for example, they they put out their new top fifty today, and Byron, what's his name, Murphy? Murphy. Yep, still in the top ten. And yep, and that's a guy that didn't test well. But you know, if he goes and kicks inside and he's a nickel guy, see the problem is if you draft a guy like that in the top fifteen and he's a he's a slot guy, you feel weird about it. But today's NFL, that slot guy is extremely valuable and important. The problem is, is he going to get burned on the outside because of his deep speed? And, and when you, when a team goes into uh, you know two wide receiver set, and if you can keep him safe as a defense and he's only your slot guy, you feel really good about that. But do you take that guy top fifteen when you know you got to protect him a little bit? I think that's where it comes down to. Or maybe he fits into a system like Buffalo that's very zone heavy and, yes, and he yes. doesn't need to actually turn and run with a guy. There, there are the scheme fit the early questions as well. The two bucks would have loved him. Yeah. Yeah, play flats all day. Yep. Uh, in the fourth round then, just to get back to the retrospect perfect draft, for pick 120, there are a lot of great options at this point. Zedarius Smith, Shaq Mason... Oh, yeah. Quan Alexander, who you like a lot more than I do, Adrian Amos, and Grady Jarrett. Those are the two guys. One thing on Z Smith before you move on is many people thought he was the better of the two between him and Bud Dupree. Well, that has certainly turned out to be true. I mean, some Steelers fans might say Bud Dupree had however many sacks, but Bud Dupree sucks. Yeah. And I thought he sucked forever, and and there were some Bengals fans that really wanted him because he was a UK guy, but... No, he couldn't turn the corner. At all. And he had no like plan, pass rush plan, and not the power to come back inside. As a, If you can't turn the edge, you better have power to win back on, in the, on the inside, and he didn't have that. I just, I just really appreciate that the Steelers have been absolutely panned for their first-round picks lately. From, from really, from, from that point on, Bud Dupree, who's the, who's the corner they took? Artie Burns. Artie Burns and uh, Terrell Edmonds. Terrell Edmonds, the seventh-round safety. Or fifth and T.J. Watt's been fine. I actually like T.J. Watt a lot. Uh, in he's daily. been fine, but he's also been overrated. Sure. He gets the production, and that's why, you know, even though play-to-play. Play, sack but, numbers, yeah. But I would say as we're knocking the Bengals on their terrible drafting from 14 and 15, and you you started this because you said we're not going to talk about the Steelers earlier, but we could, we could talk shit. The reason why the Steelers haven't won a Super Bowl now in the last handful of years is because of their first round picks. Yeah, because they they've had it. They've had talent elsewhere. Also, you know, culture is clearly an issue there. Sure. Anyway, uh, my picks in the fourth round are running away: Grady Jarrett and Adrian Amos. Stephon Diggs is a guy that you'd really like to fit in as well. But getting Tyler Lockett early, you're feeling pretty good about the wide receiver spot at this point. Grady Jarrett is one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Putting him next to Geno Atkins gives you, with Carlos Dunlap and now Carl Lawson, hands down yeah. the best. Uh, maybe not hands down because Aaron Donald still exists, but, you know, hard to right. beat Donald those four. Donald and Sue last year would have been the best D-tackle tandem. But, the best um, D-tackle tandem for sure. But, you know, you throw in Dunlap at the edge and Lawson at the edge and it gets close. Sure, but I'm just saying Grady Jarrett and Atkins inside would have been. And and that could happen for the Falcons if they draft Ed Oliver. That means we'd have to pass on him, though, right? Well, Adrian Amos is the other guy here. Fantastic safety who played, uh, I guess, four years in Chicago, and he went on to Detroit. He he did just sign somewhere else, didn't he? And I don't don't know where he signed. It was another NFC North team. I just wanted to go real fast before you uh, go too far. I had Adrian Amos, and this is my safety rankings because I talked about having Deron Smith number one. I had Smith number one, Landon Collins number two, Anthony Harris, who I just drafted, number three, uh, Quandre Diggs number four, Adrian Amos number five. That ended up being a really good safety class. It did. And and we didn't think, you know, we, we weren't so sure about it from what yeah. I recall. Uh, fifth and sixth round are Pretty simple because I think that the Bengals did as well as they could here without going too far into the undrafted guys. It turned out because I think if you start cherry picking undrafted guys for this, it gets a little a little crazy because yeah. undrafted guys in this class include Bryce Callahan, the best slot corner in the NFL right now, Lael Collins, Tyrell Williams, Adam Humphreys, Quentin Spain, David Andrews, 
there's there's a lot of good undrafted guys in this class. So I stick with CJ Uzama and Deron Smith in the fifth and sixth. I think being that Uzama got a second contract from the Bengals in the fifth round is hard to argue with that. He's a pretty clear tight end too in the NFL. A guy that you're not mad to have on your team and getting that in the fifth round. That's great. Yeah. And then in the sixth round, I think Deron Smith probably belongs in the NFL right now. He did flash for the Bengals, as we talked about earlier. There's not too much more to say about him. It's a mystery that he never got on the field. Best player, according to Pro Football Focus and the American Alliance, whatever the AAF stands for, that (laughs) rest in peace. I think the F is the easiest one to uh, figure out what it stands for there. Failure. (laughs) Sure. I wasn't making a joke. (laughs) In the seventh round, uh, instead of Mario Alford, though, I go with, I know Lael Collins should be the pick. I go with David Andrews because I can plug him in at center. I got a tackle earlier, and now my offensive line looks like Andrew Whitworth with Daryl Williams backing up. Clint Bowling, David Andrews, Kevin Zeitler, Andre Smith at right tackle with Daryl Williams stepping in if he has to. Yeah, that's a good call because we didn't take, even in our redrafts of 14, uh, we didn't take Russell Bodine, so... We would still need a center at this we, point. We we have Matt. Par- I have Matt Paradis. That's right. But I, I actually didn't look at that too much. Uh, no, was, I'm just saying. You know, it had we have done it that way. Yeah. If you start doing that, then you just end up with with all star team, a fantasy eventually. team. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets it gets crazy, and 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 you know you're not you're not going to be able to retain if you draft if you if you're hitting every single pick, you're going to lose some guys. And that, that's what happens to the Patriots. Not that they hit every pick, but the Patriots really coach guys up. They outperform, and then they get third-round picks for them. Anyway, yeah. that wraps it up. So so Bernardic, Bernardrick McKinney, still your starting middle linebacker for the Bengals, uh, can cover, can play the run, really does it all. Very good player for the Houston Texans. Tyler Lockett uh, is, is really can play inside and outside. Uh, speed guy returning for the Bengals. Daniil Hunter is playing opposite Carlos Dunlap. Daryl Williams is now starting a tackle. Grady Jarrett is playing alongside Geno Atkins. Adrian Amos is probably your second safety. Yeah, I would say so. CJ Uzama is still your second tight end. Darren Smith is, I guess, a backup safety at this point. Yeah. And Or maybe he's just moved on. And then David Andrews is still your starting center. Yep. All-star draft. Well, but that's what it is when you look back, right? Of course. You can do that. You know, I, I have you ever had, a, had that dream? I don't know if this is just because I'm a draft nut and, and maybe or maybe everyone has this. But I think, man, if I can go back in time and tell these teams, no, listen, this is who you draft. Like, would they even believe you, number one? Could you even get into the building, number two? And then, like, how do you – they'd look at you like, come on. You're telling me to take David Andrews in the third round. Or I'm, Here, I'm only here's telling how- take – Takes to find digs in the second. They're like, get out of here. Here's how you convince them. The Bengals pick 20. You tell them exactly who goes 1 to 19. Ah, you're right. I better write it down before I go back in time, though, because yeah. my phone probably wouldn't work and <laughs> I would not remember it. You tell me right now to do the top 20. I could probably do it while I'm on the clock and I see who's on the board as we're watching it. I'd be like, boom, this guy's going this guy. But no. Let's let's see how well you do real quick. And then we're going to talk about the hats. Tampa, okay. first first pick. Jameis Winston. Second pick, Tennessee Titans. Marcus Mariota. Third pick, Jacksonville. Uh, Dante Fowler. All right, you're still going. Oakland, fourth. Amari Cooper. Washington Redskins, fifth. Brandon Scherf. New York Jets, sixth. Leonard Williams. Chicago Bears, seventh. Kevin White. Atlanta Falcons, eighth. Atlanta Falcons, eighth. Woo. This is my first uh, stumper then, huh? Mm. Get out of here, future man. I don't believe you. Exactly. Let's who did they take? Vic Beasley. Ah, yes, of course. Yes. Let's just see how you do for the next few, just All for right, fun. Nine, Giants, nine, ninth. Uh, Eric Flowers? Correct. Rams, tenth. Rams, tenth. Todd Gurley. Vikings, eleventh. Vikings in the first round. Hmm. You got me. Trey Waynes. Trey Waynes, yes, Michigan State. I want to see... Was, he was the other one with Dark Denard. Yep. Go ahead. Who's next? Uh, the Browns, 12th. The Browns, 12th this year. You got me again. I don't know. Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton. Why is it always the bums that I can't remember? No, Vic well, Beasley's that, there. They're, they're less memorable. <laughs> New Orleans yeah. Saints, 13th. 
New Orleans Saints with the 13th pick. Andrews Pete. Andrews Pete. Turned out to be a very good player. Miami Dolphins, 14th. Devontae Parker. Chargers, 15th. Melvin Gordon. Doing pretty well. 16th, Houston Texans. Kevin Johnson. Wow. I, I, I would have never gotten Kevin Johnson. I still hardly know Wake who Kevin Forrest. Johnson is. Yep, Kevin Johnson, correct. Wake Forest. Uh, 49ers, 17th. Ooh. Hmm. 2015. Arik Armstead. Correct. Chiefs, 18th. Hmm. You know where you get you know, into trouble, though? N- not that? even not knowing guys is, is the trades that happen. Because there have been a few trades. All right. So, Chiefs, you know. 18, man. I'm trying to think. Marcus I, I Peters. Want, it, yes, yes, out of Washington. Obviously, good pick. And then you got two more to get to the Bengals, so we'll just hey. round it out. Browns? Browns again, huh? <laughs> I couldn't remember Danny An- Shelton. Now. Another bum. <laughs> another bum. Of course it is. Tell me who it is. Cam Irving. Ah, uh, yeah. Florida and then State. Eagles, right before the Bengals. Mm. Eagles right before the Bengals. You don't remember the pick right before the Bengals. Nelson Aguilar. That's right. Uh, USC wide receiver. I, I love Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, yeah that sucks. I, I, you know what? I feel like I should have did better on that. Yeah, you'd have to come up with something else. You'd have to figure out some other way to prove your... But I think on the clock, and then you see the... Li- like, say you're watching ESPN, right? You're back in time. You're back in 2015. Because this is this is what you would do with a time machine. So you're, back, you're in Paul Brown Stadium. Somehow they let you in. All right? And you're there. You see the, the ticker going on the bottom of the screen. Mel Kuyper's talking. You're like, oh, Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, I remember this. So I, I, with the names in front of me, I'd be able to do it. All right. Is that is that more or less impressive? I think you'd have to, like, call a trade. You'd have to be able to tell, oh, yeah, they're about to trade a third, for, uh, you know. I don't know. You need, you need oh, some Oh, I would not be able to remember detail. any trades. I know. Me neither. You never not, remember trades. I wouldn't remember any of the trades. And I also don't ever remember any of the NFL draft hats that have ever existed, <laughs> except for that they're all consistently terrible. Are they? Do they have to be? They don't what? have to be. I don't know. I don't know why. They're, they're like 99% of them are, are very bad this year. Why are MLB hats so good? Well, because they wear them on the field, and you have to look at them a lot. But they're but, just so—they're just plain navy blue, usually with the logo. Can I just get that for the Bengals? Can I just have a black? And enough of the B. I never want to see the B again. Can I just have a black hat with the tiger with the tiger head or a leaping tiger, or maybe an orange brim with some tiger stripes underneath it, facing my face, black on top? Now that's a hat or Bengals brain. I'm going to make some. You think people will buy them? I don't know. If you would buy a Bengals brain hat, get into our mentions and let us know. I'm going to do it. If I can get 10 people to get in on it, I think we'll, I'll make a run of them. There you go. Anything else you want to talk about, Joe? No, we talked too long. We talked too long. It was fun, though. It's always, yeah. it's always an interesting exercise. Imagine a team. Imagine a team actually hits every pick in their draft, that's what it would look like. And, and you, honestly, I think you can't do much better than, than what your board would have had them pick at each, yeah. at each position in 2015. It's much harder during the live draft. Uh, I should look and see who I took uh, in the live draft, even though I did end up with Grady Jarrett, Leon Collins, like I said, and Doron Smith. Uh, you get into that position where you see a guy falling or you see – you, you, you reach for needs way too much is really what it is because my team's got needs my shadow team I draft for and I'm like oh I really need a tight end or I really need a left tackle so you take a guy rather than just look at the top of your board there's a reason you gave this guy a good grade and it's really that's why we that's why I harp on best player available rather than just trying to attack your needs well I think it's harder with your shadow team too right because if you compare your shadow draft to the Bengals draft it has different needs so you you're right. going to have guys higher and lower depending on what your well, team's needs are versus what the Bengals are. I shouldn't, you shouldn't even look at needs. You should just be drafting these guys. Because in four years when we go back and redraft this, those needs are completely different on your roster. Yep. Or they're still the same. <laughs> well, there's we other ways see. to attack needs, right? Trades, yeah. free Always. agency. You, use, the, use the things that, you know. Draft the dra- the draft is an opportunity to get elite players at multiple positions in the draft if you hit. Yep. Because every year there's guys – in every round that come out and are Pro Bowl level players. Yeah, there's free Pro Bowl players in every single round of the draft every year. And it's just, just a question gotta, of can you, you hit just got to pick them. Yeah. And that's really hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but. No, I'm not either. Just a really good argument to. 
it's really hard in the moment to say, you know what, we shouldn't draft according to need right now. But sometimes it's just it's just correct. The two hardest things during the draft: number one, identifying the, the correct the talent correctly; number two, actually picking that guy because so many other factors come in. And then on draft day, while you're on the clock and doing it, so many other things go through your head rather than picking the the correct player that you evaluated. Yeah, it's how you pick Devin Bush instead of Ed Oliver. Yes, that's how it happens. Right. And, or uh, or over a quarterback, as we saw. We started this with Jeff Hobson not taking Murray or Haskins and taking yeah. Devin Bush. Yeah, or, you know, even going back to Mahomes one more time. That'll no. do it. <laughs> For the Lockdown Bengals podcast, let's hope the Bengals draft best player available in 2019. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Have a good one, Bengals fans. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.